The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Providing insight and resources for your spiritual journey. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hello, my friends out there in the world of Unity Online Radio, veganism, pre-veganism, wherever you happen to be on your path today, I'm so happy that you've chosen to stop in and be on my path for a little while. I'm in good company, I know, and I appreciate your being here. also appreciate the good people at Unity Online Radio for hosting our program and making this possible for, oh my gosh, more than four years now. I want to just uh, make a couple of announcements as we get started on the show today. I would like to direct your attention to the blog over there at MainStreetVegan.net. You know what I did this time? I made it pictorial. Now that is really getting outside of my comfort zone. I am an audible person. So I ought to be doing a podcast, right? I learn by listening. I love words, but I know that a lot of people are visual. And so I did the blog this week on my vegan summer with all kinds of pictures. So you can kind of share my vegan summer with me now that we're past Labor Day and the fall seems to be around the corner. So that's at MainStreetVegan.net slash blog. And I'd also like to direct your attention to YouTube, where I'm not Main Street Vegan. I'm Main Street Vegan everywhere else. But I decided on YouTube that I wanted to bring in everything that I've ever done, my spiritual stuff and my girly stuff. And so over at YouTube, I'm Victoria Moran NYC. And the latest video that you can watch there is about talking with yoga teachers and yoga people about your vegetarian or vegan lifestyle. You know, the whole vegetarian ethic is so much a part of yoga. But as yoga has expanded and become so spandexed, it's really been lost in the shuffle at a lot of yoga studios and a lot of places where you can learn that wonderful discipline. So I weigh in on that because some people had asked me to do that thing. So do take a look over at Victoria Moran NYC on YouTube. And I also want to do a shout out for a friend. Isn't that a wonderful thing to be able to do? Don't you love helping out the people that you are really, really fond of? And that is Fran Costigan, the amazing pastry chef. You know her from her fabulous book, Vegan Chocolate. She's been on the program. She's a faculty member at Main Street Vegan Academy. And she has recently joined forces with Chef 
Chad Sarno, and the good people at the Ruby Culinary School in launching their first ever pastry program. This is an online course. You get the superb tutelage of the Fran Costigan. So if you want to pull miracles out of your very own oven, take a look at tinyurl.com slash ruby vegan pastry. I'll put that on the show notes in case there's anybody out there just thinking, oh my goodness, I would love to be a fabulous vegan baker like Fran Costigan. Well, you can. Uh, tinyurl.com slash R-O-U-X-B-E vegan pastry. And if you do that and then you want to send me some cookies, you know what? I will accept them gratefully. Thanks in advance. Now, I'm going to be telling you about our first guest who has not called in just yet. So uh, I'm going to tell you about him and hope that while I am doing that, he does call in. And that is Nelson Campbell. Now, you know Nelson Campbell because his dad is T. Colin Campbell. Everybody knows T. Colin Campbell, certainly everybody in this world, the vegan world, the plant-based world. And he has made the wonderful film that probably a lot of you saw, and that is called Plant Pure Nation, came out last year, followed by the Plant Pure Nation cookbook. He's really a multimedia maven because now he's doing a huge telesummit. This is a 60-expert telesummit called the Plant Pure Summit 2016. Now, I do a lot of telesummits. They're out there, round and about. You get 15, 20 people sharing great information. Love telesummits. I have never heard of one this big. This thing starts today. In fact, it's already started. And it goes through Friday night, September 16th. You can still sign up. It is absolutely free. And the way it works is, You can listen to the calls live as they're happening. They're also up online for 24 hours. So for free, you get to listen to everything within that 24-hour period. So if you sign up today and you want to start listening and you've missed, let's see, who's been on so far? I think it's Kathy Freston and uh, Dr. Will Tuttle. But guess what? You haven't really missed them because it's up for 24 hours. And then you can also purchase the whole thing if that's something that you want to do. Anyway, it's fabulous and amazing. And what they're trying to do that makes this a really special summit, in addition to to the size of it and the quality of the speakers, is that they are trying to make the connection between plant-based eating and health care and the healthcare crisis that's in the United States and North America and really all over the Western world. We have people eating themselves into diabetes and heart disease and all of these problems, and then somebody has to pay for it. And unfortunately, even if we had unlimited funds for medical care, all we end up with is just helping people kind of hobble along without the kind of quality of life that we all deserve and that we all came to this planet to have. So Nelson Campbell and his colleagues at Plant Pure Nation want everybody to feel good forever. So uh, that's the purpose of, of this summit. Some of the amazing people that you'll hear, Dr. Hans Deal of the CHIP program, helping people prevent heart disease all over the place. Dr. Dean Ornish, who really started everything. You know Dr. Ornish? He had the the study back in the 1980s that was the first to show that heart disease could be reversed. Now, if you're a vegan, that's just old news. We know heart disease can be reversed. What's the big deal? But before Dean Ornish, it was believed in the medical world that once you had atherosclerosis, once that plaque was in your arteries causing trouble, it was going to be there forever. And there was some thought that maybe you could slow it down, maybe you could even halt it, but reverse, no, 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 can't be reversed. And Ornish showed that with a low-fat, virtually vegan diet, 
meditation, mild exercise, yoga, and group support, and doesn't that sound like a nice life, that you could actually open your heart and reverse heart disease. I happen to know that he came to all of this through a yogic path. So that idea of opening the heart is both physical and metaphysical. So he is going to be part of the summit along with so many other medical doctors, Dr. Joel Kahn, America's holistic heart doc, oh, Dr. Baxter Montgomery and in Houston, another cardiologist, um, Milton Mills, the internist. We've had him on the show dietitians like Juliana Hever and Brendan Davis, and also some ethical vegan people who are going to talk about what makes this truly holistic. So we're going to be hearing from Paul Shapiro from the Farm Animal Section of Humane Society of the United States. We'll be hearing from um, Neil Barnard, who really brings it all together with the health and the non-animal testing and the great good news from his Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine that just came out in the past couple of weeks and is such a hallelujah moment. And that is the very last medical school in the United States to train surgery students by the use of live animals is no longer doing it. Good, good news for animals and for patients. We're coming into the 21st century and we're using far better methods that are also ethical. So thanks to Dr. Barnard and PCRM for that. The Plant Pure Summit 2016 is also going to feature Nathan Runkel, the founder of Mercy for Animals, and so many other people. It would be a great memory tests. There are two two ways to develop a good memory today. One is try to memorize all 60 people who are going to be part of the Plant Pure Summit. And the other way is to get a job at Starbucks and try to remember everybody's three-minute long order. So a little bit of brain exercise. And I am going to be part of the summit as well. I will be on this coming Saturday And let me look at my calendar and tell you what date that is. I realize you may be listening to this sometime in the far podcasted future. But, um, yeah, I'm going to be on this summit at uh, 2 in the afternoon East Coast time on September 10th. But it doesn't matter what time because everything's up for a full 24 hours. And if you want to purchase the whole thing, we'll put all that information on the Main Street Vegan show notes. Just go to MainStreetVegan.net, click on podcast, and you'll get a little drop down. And the show notes will tell you about the summit. They'll tell you about everything that we're talking about today and some other goodly information. So have some fun over there. And I don't know what has happened with Mr. Campbell. He does not seem to be calling us. Let me look at my engineer, Jeff. Give us a, oh, the nod is no. The nod is no. So you know what? That means it's you and me. If you want to call, the numbers that I gave the guest were 816-347-5519. You could call if you're listening from Canada which I think a lot of you are today because we're having a wonderful Canadian guest in the second segment. That number works, 816-347-5519. And otherwise, it looks like it's just me for a couple of minutes, which is fine because I do like chatting with you and I do like chatting about all things vegan. Oh, here's another piece of information for today. I want to direct you to the Live Strong page. You know Live Strong. That was started by an athlete who got into a little bit of trouble, but he still started something really, really good, and it's still going strong. And one of our wonderful friends of the program, August McLaughlin, you remember her. She was on Talking About Sexuality few months ago, and she's also a really great journalist. So August has done a story for LiveStrong.com about the reducitarian approach. Now, I have written a chapter for an upcoming book on the reducitarian approach. That means if you're not ready to go vegan yesterday morning, 
you can start this evening by having a vegan meal today, by doing Meatless Monday, by starting slow and seeing what happens. Now, some people don't like that. And I've gotten into a lot of trouble for saying, you know, for certain people, that is the approach to take. But I stand by that. You know, the way I look at it, it's like getting on that moving walkway at the airport. It might not get you all the way to your gate, but it's certainly going to get you a lot further than if you just stood there holding two suitcases and saying, duh. So I am all for doing whatever you can do right now, today. And I will put the actual link to that uh, livestrong.com article um, on the show notes. So you can have a look and see what August McLaughlin has to say about getting started. And you know what? The reducing people have to be pro-vegan or they wouldn't be quoting people like me. Because, oh my gosh, there are certain people out there who think I'm kind of abysmally vegan. But you know how that is. We all see things from our point of view. And my point of view is when you get up in the morning with the strong determination to do the best that you know how to do today, you're going to know how to do something better tomorrow. There was a wonderful spiritual teacher back in the 1970s and 80s. Her name was Peace Pilgrim. She was a lovely vegetarian, vegan when she could be, because she walked around and she carried all of her possessions in pockets of her smock. And she talked about how we were never going to get world peace until we started with inner peace. And Peace Pilgrim would always say, live up to the highest light that you have and more light will be given you. Now, my handsome engineer is telling me that we have a caller. Who might that be? Hello. Uh, yes, Victoria, this is Nelson. Um, hey. All right. Well, tell, uh, tell uh, me yes, something this, uh, I don't know about this summit. You know, it's, it's a summit with the theme on uh, the connection of plant-based nutrition to health care. Uh, you know, there will be a lot of other subjects covered as well, but that is going to be uh, one of the dominant themes. And uh, I think it's just a very important idea to think about how we can uh, get the healthcare system behind this idea because if we're going to cause, uh, you know, large-scale change in the world around this idea, the healthcare system has to be a part of it. And interestingly, I do think that there's a big opportunity here for the, the system to use food as medicine approaches to improve care and also create more sustainable business models. And we're planning to follow this summit with some important work in Florida and Texas with healthcare systems to kind of demonstrate those ideas. So um, maybe, maybe we could consider this to be an introduction to something, something bigger um, that, that we'll be working on and sharing with the public. I love that. Now, I know you also have an event coming up November 16th here in New York, Plant Pure Communities. Can you give us 30 seconds on that? Yes, this is a Plant Pure Communities is our non-profit, a nonprofit organization, and uh, it's it's going to be focused on a number of initiatives. One of the the near-term interests of the the nonprofit will be uh, its Oasis program, uh, figuring out uh, basically strategies for how we can get information on plant-based nutrition and um, affordable food uh, into lower income. Uh, underserved communities. Uh, that's oh, a big, that's big problem. Yeah. I yep. love that. So, you are really covering some bases that other people have not thought about or just haven't got into enough. This is exciting work you're doing. Yes, well, thank you, Victoria. Um, yeah, we're just, you know, this is a big idea, and we have to share it with, with everyone uh, and invite everyone's participation uh, including uh, the, the healthcare system itself, and, and, and we have to try to figure out how we can get this idea out into every, every community, regardless of their socioeconomic status. Absolutely. I was just writing in my new cookbook that I'm doing with JL Fields. Our first chapter is called It's Really Easy Being Green, 
getting beyond the myths of expensive, complicated, and weird. And it's amazing how many people think that you have to go out and buy three-ounce jars of raw nut butter for seventeen fifty, when really just basic rice, beans, apples in a bag, vegetables in season can do the job. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You will be on the summit 8 p.m. East Coast time in the U.S., Monday, September 12th. Well, we're all looking forward to the summit. All right. Thanks so much, Nelson. Okay, thank you, Victoria. Thanks for all you do. Absolutely. Everybody else, stay with us through this short break. We are going to come back with hockey great Georges Locke. Wouldn't you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet? and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. You know the saying, a good deed is its own reward? Well, moving toward a plant-based diet and vegan lifestyle is one kind and compassionate act that isn't just its own reward. It will also reward you with vibrant health, boundless energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, and according to Yogi's and Unity's co-founder Charles Fillmore, even give a boost to your spiritual life. On Main Street Vegan, the radio program named for the popular book, Victoria Moran will make your move in a vegan direction easy, fun, affordable, and delicious. With enticing topics and entertaining guests every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Welcome back, everybody. You know, there are certain challenges to hosting a podcast But one of them usually isn't, I hope I won't gush over a guest and sound like a teenager. But you know what? That is my challenge right now because I am crazy about the gentleman that you're about to meet, former National Hockey League tough guy, Georges Lahak. I was enchanted when I heard him speak at the Guelph Veg Fest a while back and very impressed that he talked with fans and signed autographs for over an hour without seeming the least bit impatient, and I know that for a fact because I was the last person in line. His biography, his autobiography, Georges Larocque, Hockey's Unlikeliest, um, I'm saying the subtitle wrong, The Story of the NHL's Unlikeliest Tough Guy, is such a great read that I was reading on the subway and laughing so much that a gentleman from another seat across the way came over and said, you have to tell me what you're reading because any book that can make somebody on a rush hour subway as happy as you are, I need to read. And he wrote down the title. So welcome, um, Georges Larocque. What an honor. 
Thank you very much for having me and uh, and for making me blush. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I'm glad to do that. So, golly, I know that you are from Montreal. Your parents had emigrated from Haiti. You achieved tremendous success in your sport. The Hockey News named you the best fighter. Sports Illustrated called you the league's number one enforcer. Fans have loved you for years as BGL, Big Georges Laroc. <laughs> and you're vegan. That's a yeah. lot of stuff. So, so start from the beginning. Tell us your hockey story first. Well, you know, I, my parents were born in Haiti and uh, they came to Montreal when they were 20 years old. And uh, my love of hockey, obviously, because I was born in Montreal, like any Canadians, I wanted to skate. But the only thing with that is that my parents didn't like the winter so much and didn't like skating so much, so they didn't like hockey. And they didn't understand why, you know, the kid was so much in love with, with hockey when my parents were more in love with soccer, which is more of a sport they would play in Haiti. So every kid in the neighborhood were playing hockey, so I had to play hockey also. So at such a young age, um, that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be in the NHL. I wanted to be a hockey player. And even though some of my family thought it was a bit too cold to play outside in the winter and to go skate, I just loved it. I was born right in December, and as a kid, I would run outside with T-shirts and no coats on. And, and my parents would wear two winter jackets when they saw me play hockey because they thought it was too cold. But I just loved it. Love winter sports, born in the winter. And just for the love of winter, it was just easier for me just to, to get into hockey. Well, as I read your book, I know that this was absolutely your dream. But you didn't just get there on a straight shot. You had to deal with some racism along the way. And then you had to deal with some fear within yourself. So those are two pretty powerful enemies. How did you deal with those? Well, the thing with the racism, the hardest part about it is to live racism when you're like about seven years old and you go to the rink and everybody's calling you names. And, and I was playing hockey in a city where we were the only black family. So to get called out names just because you play a sport, to me, it, it was really hard. But at the same time, um, you know, I loved hockey so much that was I going to let some people that was ignorant and, and call me racial slur just let them like, like make me quit and what helped me a lot along the way is the jackie robinson autobiography there was a kid version of it with image and stuff that talked about what he had to go through to be the first black player that played baseball so when i read his book and i saw what he had to endure which was pretty much similar to what i had to endure with all the racial slur i came to accept the fact that if i wanted to make it in the nhl i had to accept those slur just like he did to be there so other than just diminishing myself and and being bad and sad about it, I used it as a motivation to make it to the NHL. So one day I could say after I made it that I'm thanking all the people that didn't believe in me, that were calling me names, and I was dedicating my careers to them. And I did. When I made it to the NHL, I did that because I, I, I had to overcome things that a kid should never overcome uh, overcome when they play a sport that they love. Mm. Well, I learned reading your book that racism exists in Canada. I guess I thought as an American that that was something we have down here and that the Canadians were more enlightened. So I'm very sorry that you had to go through that. And yet I'm sure that like every other difficult thing that you went through in your early life, you were able to use it for the good later. But when you were first accepted into the NHL, you turned it down. Tell us about that. Well, you know, you're talking about fear earlier, and, and, and a little thing, different, like, with my career contrary to other people is I had to fight because I was a big guy. And when you're a big guy, um, because your skill is not as, you know, as good as a skill player, uh, and you're a big guy, you have to fight. And that's what I had to do to me in the NHL. So, you know, when you're a kid, you never dream of making it to the NHL what with fighting because you know you're small you're scoring lots of goals it's just that when you get bigger and you get older and your puberty hits you now you realize that oh you know what uh, i'm gonna have to fight if i want to be there because now everybody's faster and and i gotta add something to my game but i never fought outside of the ice so it was never inside of me and and i never fought mad and it's not me as a person everybody that 
knew me know I'm a teddy bear. So the fact that I actually had to do that all of a sudden because I was playing hockey was crazy. So, of course, there was a lot of fear because, you know, you heard so many stories about people getting their face broken and this and that. And when I was drafted in the NHL, my first pro camp, I was facing up this guy that just broke uh, somebody's face a couple years before. And I was like, oh, my God, is that what I have to do? I have to fight guys that could break my face to be in the NHL? So I was 18 years old. I was so petrified that even though I was told that I could start the season with the team, I was like, no, nah, no, nah, I want to go back to junior to get back. I never said this because I was scared because you're not supposed to say that, especially if you're going to be a fighter. But I, I said I'd be more comfortable playing another year of junior to, to be much better the year after. So, And, and that's the truth. And, uh, again, my mentality changed when I got older, but it sure it sure is a – is a really tough things to uh, to actually fight because you could die. Oh, it, well, it's a lot to face, and I must say that before I read your book, I knew virtually nothing about hockey. I've been to two hockey games in my life. I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri, which at least at that time, and maybe even now, I don't know, didn't have an NHL franchise. And I can remember when I was younger, confusing hockey and polo and trying to figure out which one had ice skates and which one had horses. So that shows you how much I did not know about your sport. But the book has gotten me so interested. And as I was reading the early chapters, I'm thinking he's talking about fighting and going into a penalty box but that seems like it's still what he's supposed to do. So I talked with my son-in-law, who's from Vermont, and played hockey growing up. And he said, oh, yeah, in the NHL, that's part <laughs> of it. So you really know going into a game that there's a good likelihood that you are going to take the gloves off and come to fisticuffs with another guy probably about as big as you. Yeah, exactly. That was my job. So, uh, you know, a lot of time you just knew before the game that there's not a big guy on the other team. And- and sometimes it's marking territory. Sometimes it's defending your teammates, setting the tone. If you're down a couple of goals, changing momentum of a game, getting the fat excited. Sometimes it's just for the show. Sometimes it's to make a name for yourself. When I was a rookie, I was up in comers and I wanted to uh, show that I was going to be a good fighter. So I was fighting the big, uh, the big guys to show everybody that, uh, you know, I'm the young guys coming in, try to make a name for myself. So a lot of different reasons why we, we, we were fighting, even though a lot of people still don't understand it. But, uh, uh, you know, that was, that, that was the job. That's what I had to do to be there. And, and, and it was, it was dangerous. I realized it. But, uh, when I sum up, uh, my entire NHL career, there was way so much more good than, than bad, which is the only thing is fighting, which I didn't like so much. But, you know, I still scored goals, played in the playoff, got a lot of points. So for that, it was fun. But the fighting part, it's hard because it's not just hard physically, it's hard also mentally. Of course. And I, I loved reading about your hat trick. Of course, I didn't know what that was, so I had to ask my husband that that's when you score three goals in a game. And yeah. I, the way you write, I mean, you really write like you're talking to the reader. In fact, last night my husband and I went out and I was telling him things from your book, and I said at one point, and then he told me, and then I had to stop myself. It's like, no. You didn't tell me anything because I hadn't talked to you yet. I just read your book, but it felt like you were telling me stuff. That's how yeah. this book is. So seriously, everybody, Georges Laroc, the story of the NHL's unlikeliest tough guy, you've got to read it. Now, I want to ask you, Georges, about concussions. You know, we've just had the motion picture down here about football and that problem is that a big problem in hockey and i know you have beautiful twins a girl and a boy would you let your son play hockey uh yes uh i'd let my my kids uh, play whatever sport that they love and uh, you know it's funny because i never even talk about my son about the fact that i was a fighter and stuff but it's the other kids at school that talks to him about that all the time and and he asked me is that true that he used to fight and i said yes he's like it's not bad and i was like yes don't do it (laughs) uh you know, I let my son play hockey, seven years old, but I hope he never has to fight. Anyway, the NHL is taking fighting out of the game, so by the time if he's old enough, if he makes it there or not, I'm pretty sure there won't be any more fighting. So I, I, I'm pretty sure in the fact that I won't have to worry because, you know, it's one thing that you fight, but you never want to see kids in that position because you know how hard uh, and dangerous it could be. So that's why when I look at that, I'm like, you know, my son will be okay, but... The concussion in football is not the same as it is in hockey. Yes, it's, it's a bit of an issue. Some guys have suffered from concussion 
in hockey, but because it's not a head-to-head contact sport like like football could be with the helmet-to-helmet hit, it's not the same. And, you know, NHL is punishing headshots and, and it's, you know, they're doing a lot of things to try to prevent head injuries. And with fighting coming out of the game more and more, you see less and less and less injuries to the head. So it's not the same issue as it is in football, even though I think there's some players in the lawsuit against the NHL because they had head injuries. But I feel really fortunate that uh, throughout my entire career, I've never suffered uh, uh, from any concussion from a fight. Uh, well, you also seem to have won most of your fights. And I love in the book how you'll never say, oh, I knocked that guy out or I really put one over on him. You always just say, it went well for me. Yeah, Here's- because I I have so much respect for people that did the job. And because I didn't like it, um, uh, you know, for me, I don't want to describe and talk about it and do a show about fighting. Fighting, I did it because it was my role, but not because I liked it. So. If I don't like something, why would I describe it with excitement and say, oh, I did this, I did that? No, the goal of a hockey game was to score goals. And fighting was the dark part of the job. So let's talk with excitement with the with, with fun part of the game, not yeah. the dark side. So that's why, to me, just to talk about it, uh, I, cross, I, I see people on the street all the time that wants to talk about fighting, the real fighting fans. And I'm like, no, I, uh, I, I don't want to talk about it. I have nothing to say about it. And people that want to take fighting pause and stuff. It's not me. Uh, yeah. I don't like it. It's I rather show the real person that I am than, than try to act like a fake person and say, oh, that was awesome. That was It was not awesome. Yeah. It was dangerous. I didn't like it, so I can't describe it with excitement. Good for you. Well, let's talk about what happens when somebody retires from hockey or, or any professional sport. And I think about it's not just sports. It's ballerinas. It's a President Obama who's going to be a young man retiring soon. What do you do? How do you make that transition from professional athlete to civilian? Well, it depends on a lot of things. This is such a loaded question. First of all, if you played college hockey uh, in university before you actually were drafted in the NHL, often some of the players finished finish their degree, so... They could easily go back in the marketplace and work because they have a degree. Some of them, maybe they had a year left in school that they finished the degree to go, to go work. It depends. Some of them, they made so much money in their career that they could invest into uh, into real estate or in the stock market or whatever, and they could live from the winning in the NHL. It, and, and the majority of us, like me, we, we get a, a job in hockey, whether it's coaching, scouting, or even radio show, TV shows, stuff like that. So... Guys that could talk uh, throughout their career that were really good with the media, often they get a job in the media because uh, they're eloquent when they talk and they could describe games, analyze games and stuff. So there's role for everybody. It's just that you have to find your niche and you have to find what you're good for once you retired. And you have to get prepared for that towards your end of your career. you got to find connection, like connect with people, connect with people that have businesses. And, and so people get to know you, get to know the person you are what you stand for to see what company might endorse you to, to get you to be the spokesperson. And, and me, I, I was, I was hyperactive since I was a kid. I was all over the place. So the fact that I'm involved in so many things right now is just the way that I've always been. So I, like I knew when I was going to retire, I was going to get offers to, to be part of many different projects. And like the restaurant that I used to own for a couple of years, the raw vegan restaurant. Now I own the, I'm a co-owner of a rice kombucha company and, and many other companies that that uh, that I'm part of because of great people that approach me and, and get me to be part of the company by doing their marketing and using my image, using a lot of things. So it's it's great because I was outspoken while I was playing. People got to know me as a person, and a lot of people uh, when I was retired was waiting for that time to get me to endorse them. Uh, and I think a lot of that is your personality. I mean, you're just. You have this wonderful richness to your character that comes across when you speak. It, it, it's really, it's quite stunning. So you have a radio show now in Montreal. Is that a hockey show? Yeah, yes, I do. I have a radio show that uh, quite often I talk about veganism in there. I can't do it too much because it's supposed to be a sports show. But yes, yeah, a sports show that covers all sports. So it's every afternoon in Montreal. It's in French because obviously my first language is French. Right. Montreal is being French city. So uh, I talk about all the sports in the afternoon and and uh, bring comedy also to the to uh, to to my speech when I talk about the different sports. So we're having fun and 
and also talking with the fans where they could call in open line and stuff. So no, I have lots of fun with that. I love it and stuff. And I, I did something that I do five days a week. Uh, I know what it's like to have a real job. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So you've got the rice kombucha. Now you also have the BGL energy drink. And, and I love it that you've taken this, this fond fan nickname that was given to you by the people who loved watching yeah. you play. And now it's an energy drink. So you can energize everybody. Yeah. Well, you know, about the thing with the energy drink over my career, I've, I've drank and I, I'm not going to mention the company, but I've, I've drank as a professional athlete so many different energy drinks, a lot of it. And most of them are unhealthy and they're really good for your heart, for your heart rate and stuff and for your health. And, I've always, uh, when I was involved with rice kombucha, um, I, I saw so so many problems that was going on in people's health with, with energy drink and mixing up energy drink with alcohol and all that stuff. So I was like, you know what? One and a half time one day, I'm going to make my own energy drink. Something much healthier that, that could give you a little kick, but at the healthiest way possible. Doesn't make you shake or it's dangerous if you drink lots. I, I thought if I make something with healthy ingredients and stuff, it could be something much healthier. So I worked with scientists in Montreal and stuff to make a really good version and, and, and with pretty much no sugar, only nine calories, because the, what people have to realize with the energy drinks is that there's so much sugar in it that it, it like it raised your insulin level up. And that's what caused the crash after a while because of that sugar that goes up so much and then it goes back down. So it's not good. And when you taste an energy drink that has no sugar, they don't taste good also. So what I did is I did something that only has nine calories, pretty much no no sugar, and combined a lot of ingredients, a lot of, lot of the ones that are much healthier than what's out there, and the combination of it with the taste and everything that is in there is actually much better for you than anything that is out there. And, and I did it really affordable. Like uh, it, it comes up to like 99 cents per drink when all the energy drinks in the market are like 3 to $4 each. Oh, yeah. So, so I, I, didn't want, I didn't do it, obviously, because I don't need more money. I didn't do it for money reason. I just did it to to create something much healthier and give an option to people that that, that consumes it, that, that works out and whether you're a professional athlete or not, you know, a lot of, a lot of people sometimes needs a little kick or whether they like they're at home, they're tired and this and that and and it's been it's the cell is going really well in Montreal obviously because of that. It's affordable and and it's much healthier than anything that is out there. Oh cool. Well I'm gonna get some because we all need energy. So I want to ask you about the other side of being an athlete who retires from professional sports, and that is the staying in shape side. I know that you said in your book that you were always somebody who had the physiology to put on weight easily. So what do you do now that you're not out there playing professionally to stay in shape? Well, uh, when I, the, the thing with the, the shape when you're an athlete is, Every day in and out, they weigh you, they check your body fat, you got to come certain weight, and they're really hard on that discipline every day. And it's like the same thing for pretty much all athletes. The lighter you are, the faster you are, and then you have to be lean, you have to work out, you have to watch what you eat, you have to go on a diet. And when you retire, the hardest thing about that is that once everything is done, you let go. No more rules, no more weigh-in, no more this and that, you can eat whatever you want. And... Your body is not used to not to work out, like to stop working out. And the thing is, you stop playing, but you still eat the same as you were when you were playing. So that's why many athletes, when they retire, they blow up. And that's what happened to me. I was playing at 260. And I, when I retired, I put up almost 100 pounds. I was 350. I was so big. I, I needed to take my king-size sheets bed and make pants with them. It was unbelievable. Like, I was the biggest balloon out there. It was my friend were looking at me. They're like, George, what's going on? What's wrong with you? And don't blame the thyroid, your thyroid, uh, <laughs> thyroid problem that you had. That's why you gain weight. So, you know, and I did that in six months, gaining 90 pounds. So because I was vegan in 2009 uh, in the NHL, uh, just before my last year that I retired, and I was doing a lot of conference about veganism, people were looking at me. They're like, man, if, it is, if this is what vegans kind of look like, I'm not interested. So obviously, and it's funny because most people talking about veganism are usually 100 pounds wet. They do yoga, they levitate, right? So they're all skinny. <laughs> people like, I don't want to be like that. And then I was the opposite, but not in a healthy way. So I was like, okay, I'm going to start working out because obviously with my metabolism and everything, if I don't do anything, I work out. I'm going to break the world Guinness record for being the biggest guy in the world. So 
you know, because I played professional hockey and and love the extreme and the intensity, I was like, why not doing a marathon? So, you know, I was for 350. I was like, yeah, that that way is going to get me back in shape and put all this weight off back. And it did. I did twice the Montreal Marathon. And, and by doing that, the training, the taste and stuff, all my weight came off. And, and it forced me to work out because obviously when you do a marathon, you have to work out so much. So. I gave my body something intense to be back to normal and it worked. So that's what I had to do. And yeah, obviously, I, you don't, you don't, if you're listening to me, you don't have to be that extreme and be like doing something so hard because it was really hard. Believe me, running at 300 pounds was not fun, but I credit everything to my veganism diet because, uh, you know, I, I, when I retired, I have no meniscus on my knee. I have two herniated discs and, 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 and a lot of injuries I had from fighting and from all my, 13-year NHL career, but the veganism diet, like, regenerated my entire body, and I was able to do things that even when I was healthy, I couldn't have never done. And, you know, doing a marathon at 300 pounds with no pain is just amazing, and I credit everything to my new diet, and that got me so healthy, and that's why when I go all over the world and I talk about it, I always promote veganism to everyone that want to be healthy and that want to do things, that want to live their life to the fullest, because... uh, you know, with no pain and, 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 you know, also like be caring to animals, your own health and the environment. So many things that come into effect when you decide to be vegan, the strongest action you could do for the environment a person could do is to be vegan and compassion that it demonstrates you're going to do that. And also it's cheaper. A lot of people say, well, George, I didn't have, I didn't make your money in a career and I can't afford it. What? Come with me. Let's go to the grocery store. Wait till you see how much it costs me when I go to the groceries. What's most expensive of the groceries is obviously the dairy, the meat, right? But grains cost nothing. You know, if the hippies were vegan, vegan back in the days, uh, they didn't have no money. How could they afford it? It was so expensive, right? So, but it's stereotype that you heard today. But no, it's because of that, uh, because of vegan, my vegan diet and because of all the sports and everything that I do now that to maintain my shape, now I'm back in great shape. Well, I'm thrilled that you're back in great shape. And I'm also thrilled that the reason that you're vegan isn't really because of that. You watched a documentary and you changed overnight. Tell us about that. In, in 2009, just before my last hockey career, um, a friend of mine was asking me for a long time to, to watch Earthlings. And, and I was like, you know, like, like most people, that, and a lot of people were listening to me right now, they'll be like, that's me. But I was like, I don't want to watch this. Why would, why would I watch this? Like, you got to watch it. I'm like, listen, there's nothing that I will watch that will make me stop eating meat. Nothing. She's like, come on, watch it, watch it. For two months, she gave me the documentary, and it's like the, the, the DVD. She's like, you got to watch it, you got to watch it. And I was like, I'm telling you, I'm not going to stop. And before 2009, I was the biggest meat eater in the world. I used to eat, eat almost a cow a day. And I was in those uh, protein diet, would only eat meat, no carbs, to lose weight, to lean out. I did all that stuff. So after two months of her asking me every day to watch it, I watched it just because I was sick of listening to her asking me the question. I said, you know what? I'm going to watch it. So next time she asked me, I'll say, yes, I watched it, and it shall leave me alone. So I did, and I'm a really stubborn person, and it takes me a lot to change my mind when I decide I'm not going to do something. I know that's bad, but, you know, that's what got me into the NHL, that stubbornness that I have in me that makes me go through all the, bar- the barriers that was in front of me. I-, I go right through them. So anyway, I watched this documentary on my own in 2009. With a, docu- a little documentary that is an hour and a half, and after that, she's going to leave me alone. Well, believe it or not, when I watched it, I, I cried for an hour. That documentary changed my life. I watched this. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I had no idea animals had to suffer this much for us to eat them. I had no idea the impact it does to our health and the impact it does to the environment. After it was over, I was like, oh, my God, that's it. I'm not supporting the meat industry. I'm becoming vegan right now. My life is over. I'm going to die. Where I'm going to get my protein, it's over. My career is done. I don't care that it, everything is done. I can't support this anymore. But with the, all the stereotype that I heard, I thought I'm done. I'm going to lose all my muscle. I'm going to become skinny. Um, and, 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 and I'm going to die. That's what I thought when I made that decision. And even though I thought that was going to happen, I still did it. So that day I go home and I look at my fridge and my cupboards, what I could eat, nothing. Everything had animal product in it. I put everything in a bag, I brought it to the food bank, and I went to see a vegan nutritionist. And I said, okay, I decided to be vegan. 
I don't know what to do. I don't know what to eat. Um, so I don't know if you could help me so I could live as long as I can. But and I don't know if next year with that new vegan diet I could make the team, but we'll see. I went with her to an organic grocery store. We stayed there for five hours. She sold me um, food like kale that I never knew what it was, uh, bok choy, and, and like vegetables that I didn't even know that existed. She explained me the whole theory about the protein and how we have to combine amino acid and everything we eat has amino acid. And, and when you combine together, it's like a complete protein. And so I don't have to worry about the protein. And all that stuff and that speech that I have to give every single day when people ask me about protein. I hate people ask me the question, what I do for protein so much that I made a shirt that actually say, here's what I do for protein. So when I wear it, I said, just read this because people ask me that question every single day. People that eat meat worries more about my, my protein than, me, than myself, which is crazy. <laughs> but, but anyway, when, when I went to see her, I was like, I learned so much. And actually, I realized, man, maybe I won't die. So what I did uh, after I got all new groceries and, and, and I stopped buying lots of stuff and tofu. And, and it's funny because before I was vegan, I used to hate tofu. And once you see that documentary and there's something clicks in your head, when I ate it after, it was fine. Because when you have pre preconception idea of something that you're going to hate it, you do. When your mind changes, you become open to things. So now things started tasting totally different to me. And I was like, man, this is not that bad. So I wanted to do a test to see how good veganism was, uh, to see if there'd be a big difference with my carnivore diet I had before and four months later with my vegan diet, what, what it would do to my body. So I went to the high clinic known in Montreal, and I decided to do some tests. They were testing my blood. It was going to be physical testing, everything, just to see the difference before and after. I did the test uh, right, right before I started my vegan diet. Four months later, when I went back, uh, the test was totally off the roof. Um, I had better cardio. I had better endurance. My blood level was better. I had no more asthma. I had no more high blood pressure, which I was suffering from before. It was unbelievable. And all that only and strictly because I became vegan. So when I saw what the result did on me, I was like, man, I got to share this uh, this result to everybody. And we did a documentary in Montreal, a French documentary about it, and it showed the result before and after in the testing. And it got a lot of people convinced that actually, you know what? This, this vegan diet is actually really good for your body. And combined to this, when you hear all the testimonial about people that have cancer and just change the diet and they could reverse it. And a lot of people, like they, they said that cancer was gone after they went raw vegan and actually, the doctors which would never want to benefit the fact that it's because you changed your diet. They, often they'll say, oh, it's because it wasn't strong enough. It wasn't, maybe it was a mistake. They'll never want to give credit to that because we need people to stay sick because our health industry is billions of dollars a year. Um, you know, they, they, need, they need people to be sick to make money, right? So everybody was like eating healthier and, and a much better diet. Uh, there'd be no more lineups in the hospital. So... Because of all those reasons, I know I made the right choice, but I wish I'd made that much earlier. I woke up at 33 years old. It's never too late than ever. But now, uh, thankfully, because of your show, Victoria, a lot of people could wake up now and much earlier and to do great things to, to, to have a better life. I often say that people that eat meat, they, lead, they, lead, they live their life at 75%. The reason why I say that is because the body works all the time to digest the meat. They, they decompose it in amino acid and, and to try to get rid of all the, the chemicals in it and all the HGH and all that stuff. And all that stuff that causes cancer because it puts your body acidic. But people that are vegan, they live at 100% because the body is in is harmony with everything because it is, there's nothing to assimilate. We have a combination of amino acid that your body digests right away. Your body doesn't have to go hyperthermic temperature and use 80% of energy to digesting any type of meat. It's so much better. So your body is more alkaline and disease cannot live in an alkaline body. So, and I, I could really go on and on with technical stuff, but I don't want to scare people on, uh, on the subject. And I know, you know, all this Victoria anyway, right? But it, what's so cool, Georges, is that you didn't do this for your health. You did it because you watched Earthlings. You cared about the animals. And then the incredible good karma 
that only took four months to get were all these wonderful health benefits. It just seems like when people can see that and get it, I think lots more people are going to want to do it. And, you know, that's why a lot of people don't want to see documentary like this because they're like, oh, man, this is too hard to watch. I can't watch this. Well, you have to. All you have to do, you got to watch it to understand what an industry you're contributing when you're eating meat. And when I saw that, I had no idea animals have to suffer to end up in their place. Actually, believe it or not, I was dumb enough to believe that the animals were eating, were eating them when they, they, they were dead because they were too old. I just thought that we're eating animals that were that, that, that the life was done. Yeah. People kept them in the farm, and when it was in their last year and they were limping, that's when we were eating them. I didn't know that uh, when they're full-grown and, and fully healthy, we're eating them, and it didn't matter, and they had no life. They were stuck in the cage and all that stuff. It was, it was insane. Yeah. So when I saw that, I was like, man, I can't accept this. And then when you know about the environment and your own health, you're like, no, this is uh, it. i got to change. i got to well, change it. I'm so glad you did, and you're changing so many other people. We're down to our last, like, minute and a half, two minutes if we stretch it. So I wanted to ask you, there are pictures of you in your book with His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Do you, former tough guy, have a spiritual life? Uh, actually, I do. I'm very spiritual. When I was 18 years old, I experienced every religion that existed. I was Muslim. I was Jehovah Witness. I knocked on doors. I did them all because I wanted to understand them, to know <clears throat> what people, uh, what they were going through. So as, other than d- denying it and, and talk against them, I understand them, so understood them. So for me, it was really important to know where everybody was coming from. And and the thing with the Dalai Lama, I was really lucky because when the uh, Canadian uh, Tibet Association came to Montreal, they came to me and they said, we think that in Canada, you wanted the most person um, that deserved the honor to introduce the Dalai Lama. So what I did in Montreal is when he came here, I was the one they picked to uh, do the conference with him in, in French and English. He was sitting with me for two hours, and I was talking, uh, I was translating what he was saying, and he, while I was talking, he was putting my hair with my nose. It, it was unbelievable. There's a moment I'll never forget the fact that when he talked about karma, I had the, the, the chance to sit beside him for two hours with bodyguards, a room full of people to protect him, obviously, right? But we, I was sitting in the middle of this, and that was a holiness moment that in my life I will never, ever, ever forget. And you know what? It all happens after I became vegan. So maybe when you show compassion for others, other people see that and great things happen to you. I think it does. And a great thing just happened to me by having you as a guest on this show. So thank you so, so very much. I look forward to when our paths cross again. The book, uh, Georges Larocque, everybody read it. Check out BGL Energy Drink and uh, (laughs) follow this man. He's doing amazing things in the world. So thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you, Unity Online Radio. Now, I have a big announcement to make next week. I'm going to make the pre-announcement right now, and that is I've just talked to someone who spent 13 years in competition. I have never been in a competition in my life until right now. And I learned that I am one of the 10 finalists in the contest, PETA's Sexiest Vegan Over 50. So, wow. Wow. <laughs> and I want- agree. You get my vote. You have my yeah. vote. Fantastic. Well, the first person to vote can be you, George. You go to prime.peta.org. And everybody else, you can vote too if you want to. And thank you. It's all good. It's great being in a contest with vegans because whoever wins is the right person. Yeah, that's right. Thank you all and everybody listening. God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. Benefits 
of spiritually conscious living start now. For a time-tested method to live with purpose and release your infinite potential, tune in to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Liz Winter and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Mediumship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.